1: Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Sunday was a day that um, took us all by surprise, even at the speed of developments on Sunday. Very very worrying scary day in terms of how it was going to unfold um we had to go to the bunkers a few times when there's a lot of you know gunfire around it's it's what yeah it's, it's it's a room where we have put like steel doors you know steel doors and radios and everything so the whole thing is like you get the whole team in there, you do a count. If they do breach the compound and something happens, at least you you have everybody in a safe space.
0: The Taliban's sudden return to power in Afghanistan has caused shock, fear and desperation.
1: I can't believe the world abandoned Afghanistan. <laughs> Our friends are going to get killed. They're going to kill us. <laughs> Our women are not going to have any more rights.
0: Thousands are still scrambling to Kabul airport, trying to escape the country. <laughs> But what next for Afghanistan, and what does it tell us about Western intervention in the region? I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. I'm Fionan Sheehan, and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from Independent.ie.
2: Today, we'll be talking to security analyst Declan Power about the rapidly changing situation. Ultimately, if Afghanistan becomes again a haven for terrorist activity that results in attacks on the West, then we really are going to have to think that this twenty years was a futile waste of blood, treasure, lives, and ask what was it all for.
0: But first, Mary Ellen McGorty is from Donegal. She's on the ground in Kabul as she heads up the United Nations World Food Programme in Afghanistan. Our producer Mary Carroll spoke to her about the Taliban takeover.
1: Sunday was a day that um, took us all by surprise, even at the, at the speed of developments on Sunday. Very, very worrying, scary day in terms of how it was going to unfold. Uh, we let all our national teams go home because, of course, they needed to get home to their families. Many of them, it took them five, six hours to get home. They just got out of their cars and walked, uh, you know, just to get home. Because, of course, for them, it was just a terrifying kind of day as well, what was going to unfold. Um, for us, the concern was, you know, was there going to be a battle now for Kibble? Um We had to go to the bunkers a few times when there was a lot of, you know, gunfire around. But kept a very low profile, even within our compounds, quietly let everybody go home. Then, of course, you all saw the scenes from the airport, the horrendous scenes from the airport. You know, people trying to get on planes, hanging off planes, you know, climbing up on planes. Um, calmed down a little bit yesterday and seemed to be a bit, much, much calmer today. And town seems to be opening up a little bit. We had some of our national staff come in today just to check on us. Let them know, you know, and also let us know that they were okay, and they were saying things were starting to open up. Uh, I mean, there was Afghan bread available today, Uh, you know. I mean, so things were starting to. I can't say return to normal because it's not normal; it's the new normal, it's new reality. Mary Ellen, you sound very calm now talking about it, but did you feel that way on Sunday? (laughs) I was at the office, I think. If it we'd be watching it all. Sunday's Monday for us, right? We start our work on Sunday, um, you know, so you're doing your normal Sunday and you know things are imminent, right? So you're trying to think, what else have I not got ready? What do I need to get ready? And the next thing out, and the next thing you hear, no, they've entered Kibble, are like, oh no. And then we heard of a couple of prison breaks, you know, what I mean, uh, a couple of the prisons breaks. And then and I guess some of those prisoners are, are not very nice either. So that was kind of a new dimension on it you know, prisoners on the loose and what was going to happen there. And I think that, I, yeah, you take a bit of a wobble then, right? You know, personally, if you want, you know, you're like, sugar. But yeah, so we had to run to the bunker a couple of times. And then, of course, as the UN system, we're trying then to have meetings while that's going on, you know. So, you now you need to um, get people informed of what's going on. And you're trying to do that while you have the helmet on you and you have the jacket on you, you know, so it's... Can you tell us a bit more about the bunker you fled to? It's it's what, yeah it's, it's it's a room where we have put like steel doors you know steel doors and radios and everything so the whole thing is like you get the whole team in there you do a head count make sure you have everyone so every building has like a bunker or a safe room what we call it that you can get everybody in. you know so if they do if they do breach the compound and something happens at least you're you have everybody in a safe space there's water and toilets and. You know, you can hold out there for a couple hours. Mary Ellen, were you worried when all this was happening? I, I yeah, I mean, you do I mean, I would be, I would be lying if I didn't say like you get, you know, you get sick in your stomach thinking sugar, you know, do I, uh, you know, you know, what, what's going to happen now, right? Do I have any idea, you know? I and mean, then of course, I mean, you can't sleep that night, right? So we did not. I don't think anybody slept on Sunday night, right? Because you're waiting, because you don't, you're not sure how it's going to go, right? So yeah, that's. You get, yeah, you get a wobble. And then because I'm, the, you know, I lead the team here, you have to kind of steady yourself up again. And, you know, I mean, you can't be flapping around the place like a headless chicken, right? But yeah, I mean, I would be lying to say I didn't have one or two wobbles and thinking, oh, my goodness, are we going to be watching this now at home? And what am I going to say? You know, I probably was more worried about my mother at home and, and, and the family at home watching it then I was, you know, me thinking, yeah, we'll be okay, right? It'll, you know, it would really need to go very badly wrong. I would hope, you know, for us to be, you know, we have measures, right? But it's just thinking it's unfolding on television as well at home, right? And, and then, of course, the WhatsApp starts pinging and pinging and pinging, and you're like, I can't answer you <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. I just, you know, texted my husband and said, you know, I mean, you know, just sent them all a quick WhatsApp, I'm fine. Talk to you later when... When I have a bit more visibility on how things are are you concerned for your national staff that they might be targeted by the Taliban we're all now assessing the situation and I mean I suppose the biggest concern and is, is will the women be able well I mean I have an incredible team of of national women young and they're in like they're in it they're in aviation you know um they're in engineering. They're incredibly concerned, right? I mean, they're incredibly worried Will they be able to continue work. But to be our engagement now with the new regime will be based on, you know, the humanitarian principles of humanity, impartiality, neutrality, and our operational independence to be able to do our recruitment according to our, you know, our procedures, our values. And we are the United Nations, they will have to understand that, I think. And I'm really, you know, our priority is really now to be here with the people of Afghanistan at this time and to be able to stay and deliver. Do you think the Taliban will allow your humanitarian work to continue? I mean, we will see. I mean, today we were able to, you know, successfully, you know, because they control all the border points coming into Afghanistan. So we were able to, you know, start a process of, been able to try and get the food across the border because we urgently need to get food in as well because we're starting to go into winter you've seen the massive displacement because of the conflict uh the country is grappling with the second drought in three years and of course the country with the COVID pandemic as well right so you put those three things together you have an incredible crisis of hunger 14 million people one in three afghans two million children malnourished Operations have been stood down really since Sunday afternoon and we need to get back out there again. I would hope they realize that that's important. It's going to be an important aspect as well to maintain this, this stability. Desperation is bad enough. You can't put fuel on the fire further of that desperation
0: I'm joined now by Declan Power, Independent Security and Defence Analyst with a wide experience of conflict in Africa and the Middle East. Declan, it was Lenin who said there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. It's certainly one of those weeks. What's, What's happening now in Afghanistan? Or, or as we now know it, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan has now been renamed.
2: Indeed, and that's what's happening. The the, the bedding in of the new emirate and everybody is waiting with bated breath to see whether they live up to their promises and this ideal of a new Taliban light. We, we really are in a whole new arena. What what else is happening too, I think it's important to understand. The mass evacuation of Westerners, um, particularly that were working in embassies and diplomatic roles and uh, connected to the, the Western uh, world, but also the hard uh, efforts by organisations and people to get out Afghans that had been working hand in glove with the toppled regime, with the particularly the US and British and, and indeed European Union countries that were were bedded in there because they're the ones who are really at risk. And I heard a question being asked uh, on uh, radio this morning, uh, well, does that mean people working for the UN and NGOs and things like that should reconsider? They're not really going to be at risk. It's the ordinary Afghans, and particularly when they're out of the spotlight. And this will be the test, because I suspect what may happen is the Taliban will be able to maintain a veneer of civility uh, in how they go about their business. Um, but may have a target list of people to settle with. Uh, I could be wrong, because the real issue here is how cohesive are the Taliban? Is command and control going to work? Traditionally, they are a collection of tribal alliances. Uh, so will there be uh, a centrality to the way that they're laid and managed?
0: Mr. Mujahid says that we are assuring the safety of all those who have worked with the United States and Allied Forces Uh, Whether as interpreters or any other field that they have worked with them. Uh, As for their talents and their skills, we do not want them to leave the country. We want them to serve their own homeland. Do we get the impression so far that Taliban 2021 is different to Taliban 2000?
2: Yeah, well, certainly they're stating that and there have been indications, certainly the, the way that they were happy to sit down and negotiate a settlement in Doha, they showed a sophisticated level of thinking there that hadn't been seen before. Like back in the 90s, they were swinging people out of lampposts and cranes and stoning women in the streets and trying to bring us all back to the, the Middle Ages uh, and, be, and, and beyond. But uh, I, I do think that there is a, a more strategically uh, focused thinking but how that percolates down to the people on the ground. I think what you could see is maybe in Kabul and other places, uh, uh, you know, a functioning uh, return to uh, a degree of normality for people, but then pockets of, uh, of disruptive and, and brutal approaches. The interesting thing will be, Fernando, if they manage to maintain this stability, and you know, uh, uh, an acceptable levels levels of violence and, and brutality, because and they said themselves they're interested in, in in facilitating women's rights as as allowed by Sharia law or their interpretation of it. Um, if they can manage that, I think the Western world will will tacitly start to to accept them as the the new regime, uh, and there you know there will be lessons learned. One thing we can't ignore though is that there will be. Uh, Other tribal groupings who were always resistant to the Taliban and who made common cause with the the allies, the the Western allies when they were there, and they will still fight on. They've gone to the mountains now to regroup, uh, re-equip. And the, the Western world, the US in particular, will be watching to see which dog to back in a civil war fight. Um, it could be that traditionally or at this point in time, they would be looking to equip and support, you know, the, the, uh, those tribes that would have been in the Northern Alliance. Um, however, if it turned out to be the case that the Taliban weren't too unpalatable, that's a big if, uh, but if they, they would end up backing them because it would be whoever can bring stability. The Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not
0: because you have the Afghan troops at 300,000. Well equipped, as well as equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not an M. So, Declan, Joe Biden is, is very much coming under pressure now over his uh, policy stance militarily in Afghanistan. There's two arguments out there. One is the Afghan security forces, the worst defense since the Maginot Line. The, on the other hand, people saying, the Americans abandoned them. They moved out. They, they they withdrew so fast that it was inevitable that th- this was going to happen. Where where do you where do you fall in that debate?
2: The truth is uh, in the in the grey mid area because uh, the Americans did abandon them too rapidly. Um, there is no doubt about that. I think President Biden was, uh, you know, furnished with bad intelligence. And I think that's because the US intelligence community focused too much on the table of organisation of the Afghan forces. On paper, they are well equipped to fight and indeed defeat, as he said himself, 75,000 ragtag fighters of the Taliban. But without the will to fight and the will to, to, uh, to win and that percolating from the leadership down to the ordinary trooper on the ground, you are at nothing. We need to recognise it wasn't purely a military victory. It was a little bit more sophisticated. It was a victory of sentiment. They packaged up sentiment about which side are you on and they engaged in a strategic communications campaign through appropriate tribal channels to the leadership of the military and the political apparatus. Uh, The Americans and Israelis have done this themselves at times to, to influence leaders and opposing forces. And in this case, it worked very well. A lot of Afghan senior leaders, did not want to be on the losing side. Um, this didn't happen overnight. Over 10 years ago, the EU special envoy to Afghanistan uh, spoke publicly about how he felt the uh, campaign was being badly run. That, there w- that while there were very effective military operations and indeed civil aid and development uh, activities uh, that were winning over the civilian population, and large swathes of the civilian population came to enjoy a better life and more personal freedoms, particularly women and girls, and opportunities for education and advancement. But what didn't change was how Afghans run their society. There is no real Afghan nation. And all of the people at the top levels of stewardship of the Afghan security apparatus, political apparatus, didn't properly buy in. So there was no real nation builder emerging from the Afghans. And this is something that the Americans overlooked. And the Western world and Europe, we all overlooked that. We kind of sold ourselves a bit of a pup that something was being done. We thought all of the other things, if they were in place, that this would emerge. Hamid Karzai was thought to be that man, the nation builder. He wasn't. He managed to keep a sort of reins and do deals with the various tribal groups. But the tribal groups never emerged, in, uh, never merged into one. That never happened on the Afghan side.
0: And so essentially, has the last 20 years been a complete waste of, of time and money on the West's part? Or do you, do you think there have actually been achievements uh, in in somewhat changing the face of Afghanistan?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid question. I, I think that there have been A lot of achievements, well, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of things developed both militarily, uh, politically, uh, from the ground up. But at the upper echelon, at the top echelon, I don't think the lessons fully got learned. We heard Joe Biden making a speech where he denied that they were ever there to do nation building. That's patently untrue. They were, they just didn't do it right. There will be lessons learned out of this. But to answer your question in terms of Afghanistan itself, It has been a stunning waste in many respects. Um, 20-odd years of of, a war of blood and treasure pumped into the place of the deaths of ordinary Afghans, the deaths of countless Western soldiers. And and for what? That question, though, can only be answered maybe uh, some months down the future. Because if the Taliban have changed, if if that comes to pass, then you could argue that that change wouldn't have happened without the 20-odd years. So... You know, I'm, a, I'm an optimist at heart. Let's watch that space. But if they haven't, and it descends back to the bloodshed and brutality of the late '90s, then it will have been a stunning waste of 20 years. So, Declan, a major concern
0: that is now being expressed by the international community, refugees, and and groups associated with with Afghanistan. Is the plight of of women and girls now will we go back to the 1990s of women uh, wearing burqas, having no rights whatsoever or do you think that there have been some advances in in, in that regard that, that won't be changed
2: well there were huge advances in the uh, afghan in Afghan society up until this week uh, with regards to women and girls in terms of access to their society, access to education. You saw women uh, filling high profile roles in different government ministries, in the police, in the military. Uh, That was a game changer. And uh, you can't just put that back in its box. Loads, a generation of young Afghan girls have seen women advance and have seen the value of education. However, I think what is going to happen, and we can't ignore that, is that cosmetically there will be a change. Women will be pushed more to the margins of society. They won't have that profile. They won't have that visibility. They'll be back wearing burqas. But their consciousness, their mindset won't have changed. And I think this is where the Western world has to think in a sophisticated level and in an imaginative level and kind of find ways of reaching out to support those communities, not just uh, women per se, but those communities, particularly of younger Afghan people that got education and got a sense of how a democratized society, in some ways, could could function. Um, I think it's high time we we started to hear more on this from advocates who would usually speak about these matters. Samantha Power is in a you know my namesake who uh, uh, was uh, the U.S. envoy to the United Nations and who now uh, holds uh, office in Joe Biden's government. Kamala Harris uh, and people of that stature, women of that stature in the US and indeed in Europe to be speaking out and trying to find ways to support moving forward. That's that's what we need to be thinking about. Ways that we can support uh, civil society to stop it being completely subsumed or crushed by the Taliban. Now, there's a limit to what can be done. But again, this is predicated on whether the Taliban want to be seen to show some sort of uh, of rejuvenation or, or some sort of not rejuvenation, I suppose rehabilitation. And I think you know there are thinkers within the Taliban at the moment that know the ball is in their court. It's it's theirs to to play for at the moment. And if they can be seen to show any kind of advanced thinking, they don't have to show a lot. That that would be uh, welcomed hugely by the Western world.
0: And what about the the wider region now? Do you see any implications here, for example? For the situation in in Iraq,
2: well, I think the you know the worst case scenario would be if it, uh, if Afghanistan returns to where it was with with a an unenlightened Taliban, because where it was from a, a purely security point of view was that it was a rogue state and that it was a haven for all kinds of malcontents, and that's why nine eleven got planned there and you know conceived there and executed from there. And if you have this situation where Afghanistan becomes a haven for uh, terrorist groupings we'll be in a very bad place and we really will be saying, you know, what was it for? However, um, when you uh, talk about Iraq, Iraq, I don't think is in that, in that space. Uh, and the difference is that the Iraqi people are mostly Shiite Muslims and the Iraqi government, uh, poor as it may be and unwieldy as it may be, is Shiite, Shiite led. And there is an acceptance of that. There is a greater sense of Iraqi nationhood than there is of Afghan nationhood. So the Americans can work with that. They don't have to. Uh, And the West can work with that. They don't have to have large numbers of troops on the ground because Iraq has shown its own capacity. We do have to look at other satellite states, like Yemen, which is in a very poor state, and other nations that are abounding uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the borders of Afghanistan. There will be a lot of people emboldened to see the Taliban have moved forward. Any fundamentalists, be it in close proximity or in other parts of the world, will take heart from this. Western prestige has been damaged by this and no amount of sugarcoating by President Biden can change that.
0: You were listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by Dara Kelly. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.